1: Coming up this hour, why is it important for us to talk about our own sinfulness? And then we're excited to be joined by Dr. Holly Catterton Allen, author of the new book, Forming Resilient Children. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody, happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So many important things about today, Aubrey. It's Friday. The springtime is here. Yes. All of this, St. Patrick's Day is right in front of us or behind, behind us. us. Behind us. That was us yesterday. Yep, yep. You can tell how much I celebrate these things. You clearly don't love the Irish people, but, Brian. Oh, the basketball tournament has started. All of this is going on. But, but the most important thing. All of it is secondary to... The countdown to your birthday. Thank you. I was
2: really hoping you were going there. We
1: are now just two days away. We are
2: two days away from Mama Aubrey's birthday. As
1: I've been telling you, call yourself Mama Aubrey? No, but (laughs) just now that came
2: out, and I thought I'm going to go with it. As
1: (laughs) I've been telling you all week, I don't know that it's appropriate, especially at our age, to have a week-long birthday (laughs) celebration, but we're getting closer to it. How are you feeling? It's almost your birthday.
2: Yes, I'm feeling excited. And a little fun fact for you. Do you know whose birthday's tomorrow?
1: Uh, I do know, but I'll let you share.
2: My husband. That's right. So That's- it is a birthday weekend at the Samson house. It
1: is amazing. Yeah, we're going to party. That you and your husband are one day apart. Isn't that funny? Because like my wife and I are 11 days apart, and I told you this. I don't know... Uh, maybe two other couples yeah. who are closer in age than my wife and I. And you're like, oh, yeah, me and Kevin are a day Yeah, apart. we're a day
2: apart. One time we went to get prescriptions refilled. This was years ago. And the guy asked if we were brother and sister. That's and so I was like, look, it's twins. not the same birthday. Okay,
1: come on. <laughs> One slow was down. born like 11.58 <laughs> right, the other right. So happy birthday. We hope everybody <laughs> takes time to celebrate Aubrey you, over, thank you, thank over this weekend. All right, Aubrey, it is also, we're in the middle Uh, of Lent right now. We are in the middle of kind of that walk towards uh, Easter. Yes. And uh, Tish Harrison Warren, she wrote a a great op-ed at the New York Times. And that's what I I was coming to you. Tish is a priest in the Anglican Church. She writes all sorts of things, namely prayer in the night for those who work or watch or weep. Uh, She wrote this in the New York Times, Aubrey, the other day, and I thought, A, it was bold to put it in the New York Times, and B, She's kind of pushing back against something that isn't very well accepted even in the church these days. She wrote, we're all sinners, and accepting that is actually a good She says this is she wrote this last week is the first Sunday of Lent, a season in preparation of Easter. When we focus on sin and repentance, one of the things that's most difficult to swallow about Christianity is the idea that normal, nice people are sinners, that we are born sinful and can't elude being a sinner by being moral or religious enough. So let's go. Let's dive into this, Aubrey, because I've heard this from people. Why Mm -hmm. do we talk about sin? Mm -hmm. Why do we do this? Why, Why can't we just talk about grace? Why can't we just talk about the good news? And Tish is making the point here that especially in Lent, but in general, no matter how long you've been a Christian... A, in a good theology around sinfulness, yeah. individual sinfulness, humanity, sinfulness yep. is not only important, but essential.
2: Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about this, the fact that she had to write it, mm-hmm. because I, granted, I understand she's writing to a New York Times audience, so this isn't necessarily a totally Christian audience, mm-hmm. obviously. That said, I feel like I'm even in conversations with some Christians right now who are unwilling to either use the term sin or name certain behaviors Mm. as sinful. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's really interesting that we have to uh, almost call people back to recognizing sin and brokenness, Mm -hmm. selfishness. I, I think a whole other conversation here is about sin, like you said, personal sin, but even like Uh, What the Apostle Paul calls as capital S sin, like powers and principalities and evil that are at work in this world. So like both need to be named in order for us, I think, to just understand why things are the way they are, why there's so much division and hatred. And as Tish Harrison uh, Warren says, jealousy, violence, murder, Mm -hmm. enslavement, selfishness, impatience, like why those things are true so that we can begin to recognize like and therefore we need a savior but if we're unwilling to talk about our sin then i mean what did jesus die for
1: right right that's a great point because easter becomes this celebration right we all love easter because we can celebrate uh, the resurrection of jesus yeah. the victory of jesus yeah. and absolutely that is the foundation of the good news right. of the uh, of what we believe and where we put our hope but I do think it's true. You can't fully grasp the good news of the gospel without first kind of sitting in the bad news of the gospel, the bad news of the Bible that says, apart from Christ, you are lost. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that's hard these days? Because I think she's right that increasingly as a culture, uh, we don't not just a church culture, but culture at large. Talking about things like sin, talking yeah. about things like brokenness, yeah. talking about things like uh, regret and shame, and all of these things, and our need for forgiveness is kind of a non-starter for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I, part of it is I think we've, you know, this like idol of individual expression where the the individual has become the god, and mm. we determine what's right and wrong based on our truth. Um, there's not a lot of space for sin in that, mm-hmm. right? Because what might feel sinful to me is not going to be sinful to you. Yep. And so I get to determine what is quote unquote sin or what isn't sin. And then I I do think with an increasingly uh, non-Christian world, we had Ed Setzer on last week talking about how like it will be more and more difficult for Christians to be Christians mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. culture that we live in. Just even the the term sin feels outdated or old school. Nobody wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I wonder if being willing to embrace our sin and our brokenness would help us navigate some of the really hard conversations we're having socially about racism, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. about sexism, about wa- war uh, exactly. in Ukraine and Russia mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if we can recognize, look, this is part of the human experience that we are sinners then I think there's hope for healing. Yeah, what's interesting,
1: I do believe in Tish touches on this. We don't have a hard time with the concept of sin, and we especially don't have a hard time with the concept of you're a sinner. (laughs)
2: That's good. Or
1: that person that I don't like, or that group of people. What we have a hard Mm -hmm. time is looking in the mirror and say, uh, apart from Christ, I am lost. Mm -hmm. That I'm a sinner. uh, That I'm in need of salvation. That's kind of where it is. We have no problem pointing the finger at other people. Yeah. What about the people who go the other way, Aubrey? They are too steeped in their sin Mm. or they are too weighed down. They they struggle with the grace. uh, They struggle with the good Mm. news aspect. They fully are aware of the bad news aspect. How about those people? What's a word for them?
2: Yeah, it's funny that you say this because I was having a conversation with someone yesterday who just said, I think God is mad at me every day. I think Mm. every day God wakes up and he's mad at me. And I was like, can we, you know, can we unpack that a little bit? Like, where does that come from? And of course, the things we believe, there's usually a story behind why we believe them. But I think for any of you who are living in a constant, constant place of guilt or even like not walking in Jesus' forgiveness, I I would just remind you that, again, something Brian and I have talked about a lot, just the need to re-gospel ourselves, that you're your freedom and your forgiveness in Christ is not based on what you've done, how well you've done it, or how horribly you've done it. It's based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. And mm-hmm. that work is complete. That work mm-hmm. is done. And so if you are in Jesus, you're free. Romans 8, one. there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I I guess I don't know what to tell you to do mm-hmm. except to embrace your gospel identity that you are Free and forgiven and righteousness and made new because of what Jesus has done, not based on your own merit. Yeah,
1: that's a good word. It's, uh, it's what we celebrate come Easter, but we would encourage you take the time of Lent and of Good Friday yeah. and uh, to understand the bad news and the struggle, uh, because then that makes the amazing grace of the gospel that much more yeah. amazing and grateful for Tish Harrison Warren, uh, willing to speak that truth. Uh, to the New York Times. And in that Mm op-ed, you can find that at NewYorkTimes.com, again, under Tish Harrison Warren. Well, coming up next, excited to be joined by Dr. Holly Catterton-Allen. She's a professor of family science and Christian ministry at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We're excited to talk to her about her new book, Forming Resilient Children, The Role of Spiritual Formation for Healthy Development. Uh, Dr. Holly Allen will join us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book called Forming Resilient Children, The Role of Spiritual Formation for Healthy Development. She's professor of family science and Christian ministries at Lipscomb University all the way down in Nashville, Tennessee. She is Dr. Holly Catterton-Allen. Holly, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, we're really glad to have you with us. Before we dive into your book, what an important book to deal with. Before we dive into it, could you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit more so they can get to know you? Sure. Um, I
3: write mostly about children's spirituality, and I write about intergenerational issues. Mm. I have been working with children since I was 11. I had my first little Sunday school class. I love that. (laughs) I can't believe they let me do it. Yeah. um, But that's been a real deep calling in my life, and I taught children according to what I knew, which was more of an educational paradigm, until I began to see children more as spiritual beings, not just empty vessels into which to pour information. Mm. And then I had another shift of understanding when I began being part of an intergenerational church. We met in intergenerational small groups on Sunday evenings, and I began to see children and adults differently Uh, their spiritual formation being affected by the different generations and Mm -hmm. how we grow each other up so big changes along the way it's i bring both of those together in much of what i do but in this book i mainly uh, talk about children and spirituality and resilience
2: and holly besides just the background that you mentioned what made you decide to write this book
3: I had been working with college students in a course on nurturing children spiritually and we began working with children whose parents were incarcerated. And I began Mm. reading that literature, the literature about children whose parents are incarcerated. The next year we worked with children who were refugees and I began reading that literature. And that literature intersects with the resilience World, and I began to see the interconnections between how we nurture children spiritually and then what the resilience writers are talking about how we uh, help children become resilient. There's just a lot of common ground there, and I realized that though I was already writing a book on children's spirituality, I needed to just transpose it and move it more toward how it it, uh, helps us raise children resiliently. Mm
1: -hmm. And Holly, uh, for a parent listening out there who wants to see their kid, their, their young child, uh, grow in their faith and understand what are one or two things that you would tell them be doing this now when your kids are young? Are there something that comes to mind for you?
3: Yeah, two or three very simple things. We often think that when we nurture our children spiritually, we need to do something formal. Mm-hmm. I would actually recommend more as you go kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, where did you see God today? And then uh, if you start early with that, you would certainly need to be offering ideas. Oh, I saw God in that rainbow. I saw him in the fabulous clouds we saw today or in the rainstorm. And you can start with what you see around you in nature, but then, you know, you can move on into, well, this is how I saw God today. Someone helped me with the copier. I was just so frustrated. And this guy came along and he just he knew what to do. It was so lovely. Uh, but as we... Um, model that for our children, they begin to see how God is at work all around them. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things help our children connect with God in an ordinary, just everyday kind of way. Mm-hmm. Another another thing is, you know, what's been God's what's God been saying to you? And again, modeling for your child, you know, God's been Tell me lately that I need to, to listen more. So today, I'm just going to be more of a listener. Mm. Uh, as you begin to share that with your children, they begin to see, oh, God's talking to mom. Mm. And then they begin to realize that God is also communicating with them. So ordinary ways, but we're, what we're trying to do is foster their relationship with God, but also the relationship with others, in this case, case the parent, but also... Their understanding of themselves, I would say generally in Christianity, we've left out that little piece mm. that God is really wanting us to know who we are, that we are His, and how He's called us uniquely, which entails knowing ourselves and our children. Yeah often don't get enough encouragement to be asking themselves these questions. Mm-hmm. Who am I? What's God calling me to be? And that kind of
2: thing. Mm, that's good, Holly. You mentioned earlier that um, some of the research you had done was kids who have experienced quite a bit of trauma. I wonder if you might have a story or two that you share in the book about um, a way that that child developed resiliency or found hope maybe in the midst of their trauma.
3: Yes, I, I include a lot of uh, stories. The main big story that I tell all the way through the book is a story of a family that um, survives Katrina, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, and it's a mom, her 14-year-old son, 11-year-old son, and a 5-year-old daughter. And I tell about the trauma of you know the rain coming down, they're wading through the streets trying to get to higher ground eventually getting there, but then climbing to the third floor and, you know, climbing out the window into a boat and, and eventually traveling to another state to live because where they lived in New Orleans wasn't going to be recovering very soon. And so they have to adjust to a new place. And so each of the children there have to adjust. Their mom is, is, is a capable, strong mom. She carries the weight, but she also needs help. So how they lean into... A group counseling with another other families and listen learn to listen to each other. How they lean into who God is and what He's doing in their life. They are part of a an active flourishing church there that welcomes them and it helps them set up house again. And the boys are welcomed in the school. So it talks about all the different ways that community comes around the family. That um, they are listening to what God is doing. There's one particular moment when the middle child, 11-year-old, looks out and it's raining and he says, how are we going to get out of here? We are, is anybody going to save us? And his mom says, of course, God has brought us this far. He's going to get us out of this. Mm-hmm. And she says it with confidence. And, you know, they they needed hope at that point. Yeah. They didn't need a parent to say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, today, this day, I'm thinking about those Ukrainian children right. who are in underground somewhere and their parents are saying we're here. God's here with us. Mm. Uh, He's listening to us. He cares about us. Um, And of course, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they will survive. But at that point, you say to your children, absolutely, God is here. Mm. He knows we're here. He's with us. Mm. And yes, there is hope. Mm. That, That parent must speak those words. And children take great hope and comfort in that. And that's what we want for them, Even, yeah. I mean, no matter what happens. But especially when they pull through, they will know, they will remember that parent expressing deep faith. And that's right. That God indeed is mm. at work in their lives.
1: Mm. That's and so ha- good. Holly, as we kind of wrap this up, how about COVID? How has COVID changed the landscape for little kids um, and how we relate to them, the resiliency they're going to need to show. What have you seen as the result so far of these two years of
0: COVID?
3: That has been so interesting to see this book come out right in the middle. Um, That's right. I said early in the book that there are basically two kinds of kids, kids that have already hit some bumps and already hit a wall. Um, And have already needed that resilience and then kids whose lives have been pretty good, you know, good Mm enough parents, good enough schools, good enough churches. And really by the end of the book, and we were in the middle of COVID, I should have changed that to say, you know, actually children everywhere Mm -hmm. now. have hit some bumps everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, especially if it's been some small bumps, I mean, you know, dealing with the fact you're going to have to be on Zoom or that your school is going to, not going to meet this week or met last week but not now. And just being flexible, learning that when you show up at a restaurant, it actually might be closed. Mm-hmm. We would have never tolerated that five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. what is happening? How right. dare they not be open? <laughs> uh, but we've all had to adjust and learn to be flexible. And I think, unless you've lost a, a parent or a grandparent, someone close to you, In many ways, COVID has provided opportunities for all of us to Mm. become more resilient people. Uh, Our children have uh, learned to cope, and we have learned to cope, and we've learned to carry the weight that we need to, and we've learned to comfort our children and listen to our children. Uh, The the best story in the book is about a little four-year-old named Blake who is just having a meltdown about COVID, and her parents... Just do a marvelous job listening to her, letting her express her frustration. They don't say things like "So McDonald's is shut down; there are people dying out there." That's mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. They let her express her sadness, mm-hmm. and they say, "Yeah, and church is shut down too. We have to, you know, go to church on the TV. We can't really go there anymore." And so they commiserate with her. They listen to her, and eventually, she begins to move out of her funk. And they help her see that it won't always be this way. And she appears to just move right through it. And it's delightful. It's a video. Mm. And I cite it in the the book and tell the story. But uh, that's what we need to be doing with our children. Mm. Listening, um, being empathetic with them, helping them move through, helping them understand what we're dealing with. And then allowing them to um, see the light. Um, that, that is appearing, especially now. I mean, COVID is really, I believe, starting to recede. Mm -hmm. And you can say, yes, we knew it would. And yes, we may have another season of it, but for now. We're moving into a season where we're open and everything is moving well, working well. Mm. We came through very well. So that's another encouraging thing. I've, it's been a, an interesting thing to have the book for come out sure. right in the middle of COVID because It's the number one question for people. Mm.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Dr. Holly Catterton-Allen is a professor of family science and Christian ministries at Lipscomb University. Also the author of the new book that we've been talking about, Forming Resilient Children, The Role of Spiritual Formation for Healthy Development. I'd encourage people to go pick that up. You can get it on Amazon or you can go to IVpress.com. That's IVpress.com. Holly, it's wonderful to meet you. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Aubrey. You're listening to The Common Good on am 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good am 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday. And Aubrey, say this all the time. You and I, we are both pastors. Mm-hmm. And so something that is, uh, I find it, maybe you, I wonder if you find this in your own church. I find myself a lot talking about joy
0: and joy
1: in the midst of your circumstances, mm. right? We've gone through a lot with COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're watching on the other side of the world. We're watching this war going. Uh, we're seeing all of this stuff. Yeah. And the question that I often wrestle with in my own life and try to cause other people to wrestle with is this question. Can you be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances or is your joy always tied to circumstances? Mm-hmm. Are they linked together? Yeah. And the Bible makes it clear <sighs> Uh, in the book of Philippians particularly, and other spots, that we can be joyful even in the midst of suffering. Mm -hmm. We know that. It's just hard. It's just difficult to live out. Totally. And so I want to have that talk a little bit more, because I I believe there's people out there right now who are struggling, right? You maybe lost a loved one to COVID. Uh, Maybe your health is just not going well. Maybe you lost whatever else, a fractured relationship, Uh, or just every time you got to put gas in the pump. Seriously. And you're just going, I don't know yeah. how I'm going to make it. With yeah. it. Gas or food? What's it going to be today? You know, and so uh, a lot of stuff going on out there. And what I want to do, how I want to frame this is to listen to a couple minutes of a sermon. Louis Giglio, he's down in Atlanta. You might know him from the Passion Conference or other things. Louis Giglio, uh, he was speaking on the book of Philippians. And I want you to hear what he had to say, because this idea of where does our where is our joy anchored, I think is so important. Let's listen to it.
0: Ease is not one of the components that's necessary to maintain the conditions to cultivate joy. And so it's just helpful for me to take that off the table and out of the equation so that when I get in a difficult situation, I don't automatically default to, well, I can't be joyful today because of A, B, or C. No, you can be joyful because of the circumstance in the situation. Paul I know some people are going, hey, thank you for the Baylor uh, men's basketball thing. That's beautiful. And I'm glad they had a culture of joy. And I'm sorry they had to shut down for COVID for, for three weeks. But I lost my mom to COVID. Or maybe for you, it's my family just cracked up. So thanks for the little basketball analogy and all that stuff about how they had a culture of joy and overcame a hard season to win the national championship. But I'm dealing with some stuff that's real and heavy. And I just want to say to you today, so is Paul. Your brother today is in it with you. He is not speaking to you from the rafters. He's down in it with you. And when you do the math and check the dates of the writing of this letter and the death of our brother, they are in the same year. So this man, this brother, this spirit-filled, believing Apostle Paul is writing within, we don't know, a month or three months of his execution. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it one more time. Rattle the chain, rejoice. So apparently, ease is not necessary to have joy I just love so listening to other people, yeah. good speakers,
1: yeah. Yeah. talk about this. But Aubrey, let's talk about this first, theoretically, and then I want to get to how do we actually live this out. Yeah. But theoretically, uh, why is it so important for us to realize that our joy cannot be tied to our circumstances, but we have a different option here? Uh,
2: right. Why is it so important? Because our our circumstances change so often and the older you get, Brian, I think you can attest to this, the more we begin to realize that like pain and suffering are not the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. They're the rule, right? Mm, and yeah. so if you cannot find joy and goodness and um moments of like life giving um hilarities, Marvadon says, in the middle of what is often a you know, day-to-day experience of some type of pain and suffering on different levels, of course. But then I don't know how any of us will make it through. And ulti- ultimately, what we know is we find that joy as we anchor ourselves in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit fills us with joy. But, Brian, wouldn't you
1: say it's it's hard? so hard. It's so hard yeah. because, first of all, we live in a... The American culture is one of comfort.
2: Absolutely. We
1: value comfort. Yes. And so when what we value isn't happening, yeah. we immediately attribute that to God. Yes. If if I, if the greatest value culturally is comfort and I'm not or ease to use Louis Giglio's mm-hmm. words, I'm not experiencing ease mm-hmm. and comfort. Therefore, God must be punishing me or therefore something must be off or therefore God can't be trusted. God isn't good. God. Yeah. God can't be trusted. And, and like it's next. not to say in other parts of the world they don't want comfort. But you I mean, you could speak to this better. You lived for a year in Africa. Uh-huh. I don't feel like I went to Africa for like 10 days or yeah. you think of the Ukraine right now or whatever yeah. else. I don't think their highest value when I was in Africa is ease and comfort.
2: Right. I mean, certainly this is like a daily bread community. Can mm-hmm. we eat today? Will our children have a future? Can we not die before the age of 19? Yes. A luxury car with like leather seats and enough cup holders is not the big complaint mm-hmm. over there in Zambia.
1: Yep. Yep. And so the question becomes, uh, how then do we go through difficulties? Because the Bible's really clear. Here's one thing we have to be honest about. The Bible never holds up an idea that if I'm doing well in my relationship with God, my life will be easy.
2: Never. And, and it says the opposite. Yes, it says the opposite, and the difficult part is the message, like the opposite message, is so loud that if your life is going well, God must be blessing you, and God has favor for you, and God, and it's just so twisted in mm-hmm. our minds. And the reality is, you're right. The Bible talks about suffering as part specifically part of the Christian life because we're joining in Jesus's suffering and God uses our pain and suffering to make us more like Christ Mm -hmm. what we know is that suffering is not forever we know that like a day is going to come when we see Jesus face to face and all the suffering is gone but um the reality is we will have
3: troubles
2: Mm. period in from this world, from the mouth of Jesus, yes. but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. So mm. I think the message again and again for us has to be our hope, our anchor, our comfort, our ability to go in day to day through this world and its pain and its suffering is because of Jesus. And we know his victory on the cross is is a. What gives us joy, but also is a foretaste of the joy we'll experience.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do we live this out better? How do we? Yeah, we'll never live this out perfectly. But I'm thinking of the person in their car right now mm-hmm. who is uh, life is crumbling. Yeah. Life is crumbling around them. Yeah. Where's the message of hope? Because they hear that. Fine. I'm supposed to be joyful. Right. Right. But how can they experience actual joy? Yeah, Or
2: someone who's dealing with clinical depression. Yeah. How do you experience joy? You know, I I think Let me speak anecdotally from my friend, Jen, who's fighting uh, stage four breast cancer. I've talked about her on the show before. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. literally life or death for her. And she is making an intentional choice to choose joy. Mm. Now, she certainly will say, man, I'm feeling fragile. I need to grieve over the weekend. You may not hear from me for a while. And so she's not dishonoring or discounting her grief and her pain and her suffering and all of the future pain that she may or may not face. But in that, she's going, okay, now I need to choose joy. Now I need to find hope and life and like go, like almost go joy hunting, like find where there are moments where I can discover joy and bring Mm. joy to other people, step out of my circumstances. And so I do think there is some practical, like there are some things we can practice uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to be like, okay, Lord, help me to find moments of joy discovery where I see you doing something or help me bring joy to other people when I don't feel it myself and just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you find those moments, even if you can't find like total joy
1: all the time. yeah, yeah. I don't know
2: what do you think, Brian? I
1: think it's a really hard one. Yeah. I think Giglio's a hundred percent right here out of the book of Philippians that Paul died within months of writing rejoice right, right. Uh, but I think you make the right point there. It's got to be an active search out the joy so and whole, and if they have nothing that you can look at and say I'm joyful for. That's when we hold on, or that—that's when we can hold on and go. But I can be joyful that God has not abandoned me. Yeah, that right. God says I will always be with you, and for that I can be joyful. Mm. So, uh, hopefully, a uh, a joy giving conversation. It can be burdensome, but hopefully, if you're out there struggling right now, uh, you can know the joy that Paul talks about. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by a woman that I would consider a friend, a mentor, someone I actually used to work with years ago. Her name is Mary Loman. She's a speaker, and she's also the founder of the Christian Working Woman and the host of the Christian Working Woman podcast. They have an upcoming conference that we're so excited to learn more about, and we are thrilled to be joined by Mary Lohman. Mary, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Oh, it's my joy to be with you. Thank you so much.
2: Mary, for our listeners who may not know you or the Christian Working Woman, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you started this ministry?
4: I would love to um, thirty seven or so years ago, I kept listening to Christian radio, but i didn 't hear anybody talking to me as a working woman. Mm. <laughs> this is a long time ago, right, and I thought there should be a program that addresses our particular needs as Christians in the workplace, and I prayed about it a long time. God opened a miraculous door, honestly. For a woman who knew nothing about radio, had no experience, had no connections. Uh, but we started on one station in Chicago uh, in 1984. And then uh, it seemed to f- meet a need. Mm. And so many other stations took it. And now we're... After all these years, we're heard on about 400 or so stations. That's awesome. That is amazing.
1: And Mary, tell us over the years, what have you seen God do in the ministry, through the ministry, the radio show and all the other things you guys do?
4: Well, the amazing thing is, uh, and and our focus is always God's word is relevant to whatever Mm -hmm. you're going through. And God's word has answers. And so let's see what the Word of God says. And and uh, most of the issues we deal with are relationship issues. That's no mm. surprise, is it? And uh, so you know, just encouraging women and men <laughs> to to realize their jobs as a calling, not mm. as just something you have to go pick up a paycheck with. But you yeah. know, there's no sacred and secular in a mm. Christian's life. Everything's sacred, and That's so. Right. Uh, that's been our focus. Uh, go to work as a light in a dark world and, and let God use you there. And so we've seen we've seen many, many wonderful miracles as God has used that.
2: Oh, it's so amazing, Mary. And, and you have an upcoming conference that we're so excited to talk about, the Unra- Unwavering Confidence Weekend Getaway. It's April 22nd through the 24th. Can you tell our listeners more about the event and how they can
4: register? I would love to. Uh, we've been doing these for like 32 years. That now is this awesome. will be the 32nd one. And the reason we do them is because there is something about getting away mm-hmm. from all of your everyday stuff to a, a, a nice place with a bunch of other women who are in similar situations, who love the Lord and the fellowship and the, and the messages and the, you know, everything that happens there is to equip you, encourage you, uh, to go back out to that life you live and mm. and be encouraged and and better in, equipped to serve the Lord. So every year I see what God does, and I'm convinced that it's worth it's worth the time and the effort and mm. the investment we make. You know, after going through COVID, and we had we had one uh, our last conference in 2019 canceled, you know, like weeks before it was due thanks to COVID. So we've had two years off and we've all gone through just, you know, incredible stuff. And so as we thought about the theme of this conference, what do we need? What do we need to talk about? And we need confidence. We need confidence in God's word. We need confidence that he hasn't forgotten us and Mm. he's still in charge and he's still sovereign and we can go forward with, absolute assurance that God's in in control and we can go about our lives without fear, without hesitation and with great joy. And so that's what we're going to focus on, Um, you know, getting back to that place of we're here for a purpose for this, such a time as this, and we're going to go forward with the Lord. So that that's why we chose that theme.
1: It was such a great theme there, Mary. And I'd love for you to keep, uh, unpacking that a little bit, what do you think it has been about the last two years that has rocked all of our confidence that has kind of gotten us to the point where, like you said, we need to hear? No, no, we have a purpose and we can keep going. Mm.
4: Well, you know, everything was turned upside down in our worlds and and fear took over. And I, mm. I saw it, you know, taking over the world, but yeah. also taking over the hearts of Christians and, and the women that I know and the women in my church, et cetera. And I thought, this is not of God. This fear is not of God. And so we need to be a light in this dark world. We need to say that God is still in control, mm. but, um, and be confident of him because I think it, it, it tends to, to shake your faith, doesn't right, it? Right, right. And and James says you become double minded and you're unstable in all your ways. So I think a lot of us have felt this, well, is it ever going to end and am I always going to have to wear a mask? And and will life ever be normal and all of those issues, we lacked the confidence that God is still sovereign. So that's that's why I think this is an important theme for us to leave this conference saying, hey We may not like what's happened, and we may wonder why God let it happen, and we may have all kinds of questions, but we are confident Mm. of this, that God is in control, and he who has begun a good work in us will Mm. keep it going.
2: Amen. So good, Mary. Mary, I know you also have Bible studies and devotionals. Can you share
4: about some of the other resources that are offered through The Christian Working Woman? There's a lot on our website, org, and the blog that you, uh, the podcast that you mentioned. Uh, we COVID burst several things that are now going to go on forever. And one is a Tuesday night Zoom Bible oh. study. Yeah. And uh, we have women from all over the world, That's over a 100 awesome. women who join me on Tuesday nights. And we're just going to keep that going. It's just been such a blessing. We do some monthly Saturday Zoom. So those things have been the fruit of COVID. We would have never done them mm. otherwise. Wow. wow! And now we're reaching people we couldn't reach except through uh, the virtual means that we have. So we thank God for that. Mm. And um, we're just always trying to think of what can we do to encourage people Uh, Recently, I started something we're calling The Hidden Word, and we're challenging women or men, we have men too, to memorize scripture. So we're Mm -hmm. setting up a, a, a monthly scripture passage. We're memorizing Psalm 139 right now. And by the end of March, we'll be quoting that. We have over 200 people who said, okay, I'll take the challenge. Oh, Oh, nice. That's life-changing, you know? Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Mary, the Christian working woman, uh, why do you think it's important, uh, very foundationally, that men and women see their work as a calling, as a mission field? Why why are you feeling so passionate about that over all these years?
4: Well, just think about it. We've got Christians all over the world going out to their jobs, uh, Some you know, every day to mission fields where people don't know the Lord. And that Mm -hmm. that mission field is becoming even more needy than ever before. I mean, the work, the job place is just changing dramatically. And so uh, people are uh, they just desperately need to see my job is just as much a calling as my pastor or the missionary. I know I am to go here to be a representative of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. to be a guidepost to Jesus and to live a question generating life. That's what I talk about, a life that causes people to say, what is it with you? You're different. And then you can give an answer for the hope that's in you. And so we just have so many stories of how God is using people as they see their jobs as a mission field, you know, this is where God's sending me. It, we don't have secular jobs, right? Right. That's all, right. Yeah. They're all sacred. If you're a, a Christ
0: follower.
2: Oh, such a good word for all of us, Mary. Thank you so much for that. Mary Loman is a speaker, founder of the Christian working woman and host of the Christian working woman podcast. You can learn more about the Christian working woman and register for the unwavering confidence weekend getaway. It's coming up April 22nd through the 24th at ChristianWorkingWoman.org. I don't know if I said this, Mary, but I'll be speaking at the event. So you'll hear from Mary. You'll hear from me. You'll hear from some incredible women. And so we are we are working. We are praying. We are excited to um, pour into every woman that attends and send her home with unwavering confidence in God. It's going to be an amazing weekend. Again, you can find out more at Christian working Woman org. And you can enter to win tickets to the unwavering confidence weekend getaway at 1160hope.com.
4: Mary, thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you in April.
2: Yes, we are looking forward to it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co host, Brian Fromm, and it's Friday. Mm-hmm. You know what Friday means? It is time for our top five list.
4: Top five, top five, top five, top five,
2: top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian. And in honor of this week, not my birthday, although we could do a top five things about Aubrey, (laughs) we're actually doing St. Patty's Day top five green foods. Yes,
1: which was much more difficult than one would have thought. Yes, it was. Namely because when you think of green foods, you normally think of vegetables.
2: Right. And you didn't want to have vegetables on your list. I, I, I
1: would like this to be an accurate list. And so... There is a one or two vegetables that are going to pop up on yes. my list, but uh, no, th- I had to think, and I also didn't want to go fake, like, you know, if you like M&Ms, there's no real difference between the green Fair. M&M and the red m and There's M&M. not. That's it's right. just right. one on the screen. So you could go, if you did that, you could go that way, but yeah. I feel good about my list. Okay. I feel
2: good about my list, too. I feel solid. Are you ready to start with number five? I
1: am. I am. Number five, my number five favorite green food, the cucumber. Oh!
2: Oh, you like a cucumber, do you?
1: I, I love cucumbers. Well I will, I could eat sliced cucumbers. I can. I'm, I like cucumbers. Yes. So number five, the cucumber.
2: Now, cucumbers are one of those mysterious things where is it actually a fruit because it carries its own seed, even though people think it's a vegetable, sort of like a tomato?
1: Then in a salad? Yeah. I know what you're saying. I don't know. Okay. Some people worry about those things a lot more. You I, don't I'm, care. I'm hanging that as the vegetable in my okay, list. Okay, good so.
2: job. I'm proud of you, Brian, for putting a vegetable. Okay. Uh, my number five, I specifically like this a certain way that makes it not green, but I'm just going to say in its green form, I love okra, but I specifically love fried okra. So, um, I'm going to say okra, but in parentheses, I'm going to say fried. Okay. Yep. That's mine.
1: I, I'm not sure. I, I'm sure I've had okra in my life, but right now I'm like, I have no opinion. (gasps)
2: Real Oh, I'll I'll get you some fried okra from uh, c- cracker barrel and you'll be happy. Oh, so delicious. I love delicious. cracker barrel yeah, I love so crack delicious. Barrel.
1: All right, number four. And I'm going to own the fact that I have not had this in a very long time. Okay. Uh but I do feel like there was a season very early in marriage my wife would make this. I think I'm right about this. Okay. A pistachio cream pie. Oh,
2: Green okay. pistachio,
1: and it's kind of a frozen, or it's at least cold okay. whipped cream on the top. Never had
2: that before.
1: Pistachio cream pie. I'm going to go with that.
2: Okay, so I'm going to stick with the pie category, okay. and I'm going to go key lime pie as my number four.
1: I thought about that one. Yeah. I thought about it. Go tell me about the key lime. Why do you love it?
2: Uh, I like the sweetness. I like the flavor. I like that it's green. Like uh, that it for, for also a cold, today. also a cold pie, which is kind of a refreshing type of pie. You know? So yeah, Key Lime Pie. I, I definitely had to search for that one to remember that I liked it, but I do.
1: This is what makes the green food very difficult. I feel like if we were doing top five pies, mm-hmm. I would not say the pistachio cream, and you would not say the Key accurate. Lime. Which very accurate. Very accurate. tells you how far down we have to yeah. get here yeah. uh, to get there. I like I,
2: that we both have pies on our list, though.
1: Number three, uh, and interestingly, I do have to own the fact that my wife and I went to a Mexican restaurant the other day, and I specifically told her I'm not a big fan of this, but. In the green, I, I, I'm enough of a fan of yeah. this that it's going to get here. That's just guacamole.
2: Yeah, that's going to be on my list too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Carrie, yeah. my wife, Carrie, loves guacamole. Yeah, so do I. And if we're sitting at a table, we went to a Mexican restaurant together on Friday. Fun. And she, like, you know, they give you the chips. Yeah. If if it's sitting in front of us is guacamole and salsa, I yeah. will spend the entire time on the salsa, and, and she'll, she'll, she'll spend guac. the entire time on the guacamole. Excellent. Yes. So Excellent. she's. If she's reading this, she's like, whatever. But I'm saying, again, to get into the green list, I needed to go. So I'm going to go with guacamole, even though in our family, I probably enjoy guacamole the least. Gotcha.
2: Okay, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Number three for me is a kiwi, the old kiwi fruit. I don't like kiwi. Oh, you don't? Mm -mm. Oh, I love kiwi. It's so yummy. Okay. All right. That's fair. What don't you like about it?
1: I don't know. Texture?
2: Okay. Yep. That's fair. Okay. Okay. All right, Brian. How
1: does one even eat a kiwi? You need a spoon, right?
2: You don't need a spoon. You just have to. You do have to slice it though, because you don't want to eat that fuzzy,
1: the brown part is right, gross. I always but... think of like spooning it out, which always seems weird. Oh no, to I me. don't do
2: that. I usually slice it almost like um, a flat orange, and then you just eat it. But you don't <laughs> eat that you. bottom part. Does I that make you. sense? <laughs> yeah.
1: Anytime you have to say you have to avoid the fuzzy part, I'm out on that food. <laughs> just avoid the fuzzy part. <laughs> oh
2: gosh. Okay. Here. Okay.
1: Number 2 for me, pickles.
2: Oh, pickles.
1: I love pickles.
2: I do too and they're not on my list.
1: I love them on a sandwich. Always have them on a burger. Man. I will eat pickles on their own. I love Pickle spears, pickle Man, slices. My mouth
2: is watering. Just you talking about pickles. I feel very sad that I didn't add pickles to my list. And there
1: aren't many pickles I don't like. I'll have a good dill pickle, a bread and butter pickle. Yeah. I'll go for any of them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I like the pickle.
2: Okay. I'm going to have to add pickles to an honorable mention. We'll talk about those in a minute. All right. My number two is going to be green peppers. I told you off air. I love peppers as a snack. Yeah, we're Red peppers, here. green pepper, jelly peppers. And so green peppers, I, I love them in food baked stir fried raw baked. i love a pepper baked yeah you like throw it throw it on a pan with some chicken you bake it some onion too
1: i do enjoy that but yeah. i would only eat the chicken you wouldn't eat the peppers aubrey i hate peppers. brian
2: i will go to a mexican restaurant and sometimes I will say with my chips and salsa and guac, like you talked about, could you chop me up some peppers and I'll dip it in the sauce. I'd kick you That's out of the so restaurant. Like that go. was my restaurant. <laughs> and
1: so you'll you'll appreciate this funny story. My oldest daughter, who's now 18 years old, when yes. she was like three. Okay. She got in her mind somehow that I, that dad's favorite color was green.
2: Okay. I
1: never told her my favorite color was she green. I don't mind green. Maybe somewhere it came up in a story or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it was my birthday. And she decided as a three year old, everything that her and Carrie were going to get me had to be green. Cute. And they went to like the Wheaton French market or something, and my daughter insisted on just buying a green pepper. And so I open up this box and there's and Carrie thinks it's hilarious because she knows that I hate peppers. You don't peppers. like peppers, but Madeline is like, "Look dad, you, love green." And I'm like, "Oh, sweetie, thank you thank so you. much." And I'm holding this green pepper. You're like, "You." Oh my goodness! Oh. Thankfully, they weren't like, "Eat it." Like you know, it was like I'm sure Carrie ended up being the one to enjoy oh, the green pepper. That's funny because I hate green that's peppers. That's a very funny story. All right, so I only have one honorable mention. Okay, let's hear. It. And I'm not even sure. See, green green food was proved to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I put green apple, but they tend to be too okay. sour anyway. Too like, sour. I wouldn't choose a yeah. green apple, but if Maybe. it was all in front of me, I would have okay. it. Um, but even like Jolly Rancher, sour apple stuff, not really. A I big don't like fan, that either. So.
2: Yeah. All right, mine. You inspired me. I'm gonna go with pickle because I love pickles. I'm very. I feel like I've betrayed pickles here. <laughs> and then um, I do like collard greens. That those are from like growing up in the south. I yeah. like collard greens. So that'd be a- an honorable mention. All right, Brian, your number one green food is
1: my number one green food is mint chocolate chip ice cream. Ah, mint chocolate chip ice
2: cream,
1: and, which I do love again. It's the fact that it's green that got it on the list because if you if we went out for ice cream, it wouldn't be the top five ice creams that I, I would see. order.
2: Okay, gotcha. My
1: son, on the other hand, loves mint chocolate so chip does ice Kevin. cream. But one time when he was younger, we went to an ice cream place and and he got mint chocolate chip and then asked it to be in a shake. And I was like, that's going to be really gross, man. Because it's like chocolate chip kind of mixed Nasty. in there. And he's like, yeah, that wasn't very good. good. But he lo- he'll he get it. When we go for ice cream, he'll get mint chocolate chip. But I do yeah. like mint chocolate chip ice cream. Okay. It is green, so okay. it fits the criteria.
2: Okay. And does your son like shamrock shakes around this time of year at McDonald's? That's what Kevin loves those.
1: Uh, we have not had a ton of them. But quite frankly, if you can give my son anything... That ends in the word shake. He's, He's going to have habit. it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Okay.
2: Uh, My number one was your number three. I'm going to go guacamole Mm -hmm. all day long. I would have said avocado, but truthfully, I love guacamole. There you go. Love dipping my peppers in in
3: guacamole. All right. Well, there
2: was our sort of random green list food in honor of St. Patty's Day. If we missed anything, let us know. We would love to hear what your top five green foods are as well. When we return, we're going to share some stories from the wild world of the Internet. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and it is the end of the show. There you go. And at the end of the show, we like to do something really fun where we explore wacky and wild stories from the internet that we have never looked at until this moment. But, Brian, before we go there, we Mm -hmm. need to pause and we need to announce and say something really, really important. Celebrate our amazing producer, Debbie. It is her last day on The Common Good. We love her. She's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to pause and give Debbie a round of applause. You can hear my round of applause, people. (laughs) There it is. Debbie, thanks for all you've done thank for you, us. Debbie. Thanks for who you are. And we're so excited for what God has next for you. And
1: we still believe we're going to see her on Monday. Like She's still going to come in. Yeah, that can't be like, possible, that possible that she won't right? be here. <laughs> I,
2: I feel like the saddest thing is we're going to miss all of Debbie's incredible uh, like theme songs that she builds for yes. us. So that's going to be a real loss, besides the fact that it's she's be moving on. Oh, <laughs> no, no. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants. So thank you, Debbie, for who you are and what you've done for
1: us. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, Brian, are you ready? I'm
1: ready for these. All right.
2: Wild and wacky stories from the Internet. I'll share the first one. This is out of Georgia. A man blew $60,000 in COVID funds on a Pokemon card. Okay. <laughs> a 31-year-old Georgia man will spend three years in prison after using almost $60,000 of his $85,000 COVID-19 disaster relief loan to buy a Pokemon card He's a man in Dublin, apparently. He applied for a small business administration loan for that economic injury disaster loan. Okay. And he said that he was in an entertainment business, which may or may not be true. But then he went on to use almost $60,000 of the $85,000 that he received to buy a rare Pokemon trading card, Charizard. So, like, my boys might actually have Charizard, so I need to see if it's worth <laughs> some money I there. It is. Uh, anyway, this money was clearly supposed to be given by the government to help businesses struggling and surviving a pandemic, not for trivial collectible items, says <laughs> Philip Whistler, acting special agent in charge of FBI in Atlanta. So he will uh, possibly spend three years in prison And he was ordered to pay $85,000 in restitution in addition to a $10,000 fine. So be careful what you're spending your COVID money on.
1: That's right. Next one's out of England. Woman hasn't eaten fruit or vegetables in 22 years. Lives on chicken nuggets due to phobia. No. A British woman has said that she hasn't eaten fruit or vegetable in 22 years and claims to be perfectly healthy on a diet of chicken nuggets, fries, and potato chips. Uh -uh. Summer Monroe, 25 years old. Has an avoidant restricted food intake disorder, which makes her gag just thinking about eating an apple or a banana. Wow. She says, I can't remember the last time I ate a fruit or a vegetable. It's not that I don't want to try. It just makes me feel sick. And there's part of my brain that physically won't let me do it. This is kind of sad. She claimed that her phobia originated when she was about three years old when she tried to eat an apple, but physically couldn't. She claims it was ignited, she claims, after she was forced to eat mashed potatoes against her will one night. Summer turned down her grandfather's offer of $1,800 to eat a single pea because the situation was wow. so dire. Her regular her diet consists of skipping breakfast, eating a bag of potato chips at lunch. Her dinner consists of six to eight chicken nuggets with a side of fries every night. Surprisingly, the picky eater claims to be in excellent health and does not take any vitamins or supplements.
2: I hope she gets some therapy, too, because this feels like it's not okay. I'm worried about her. I'm worried about her longevity. There you go. Bless her heart. This story was kind of funny and then it turned sad, I'm going to be honest. Okay, let's move on out of California. (laughs) I hope we said this to you listeners that the first time we're seeing these stories is when we're sharing them with you. So sometimes (laughs) they hit us, and I'm laughing because here's the title. Border authorities find 52 reptiles hidden in a man's clothing. A man who tried to slither past the U.S. border agents in California had 52 lizards and snakes hidden in his clothing, authorities said on Tuesday. I don't want any snakes near me, let alone in my clothing. The man was driving a truck when he arrived at the San Ysidro border crossing with Mexico on February 25th, and he was pulled out for additional inspection, U.S. Customs and Border Protection said in a statement. Agents found 52 live reptiles tied up in small bags. This makes me feel better that they were in bags. The
1: next sentence not going to. They
2: were were concealed in the man's jacket, pants pocket, and wait for it, groin area, the statement said. Nine snakes and 43 horned lizards were seized. Some of the species are considered endangered, authorities said. Smugglers will try every possible way to get their product in or across the border, said one of the customs and border protection directors. In this occasion, the smuggler attempted to deceive California border patrol officers in a order to bring these animals into the U.S. without taking account of the health and safety of the animals. He was thirty years old, a U.S. citizen. And was arrested
1: he did not take into account his own health and safety <laughs> next one's out of indiana a teen trying to save a cat from a tree gets stuck himself <laughs> needs rescuing oh my a teenager who scaled a tree at an indianapolis park to rescue a cat he spotted high up in the branches ended up stuck himself and in need of rescue the 17 year old boy was on the north side of indianapolis saturday afternoon when he saw a cat and decided to rescue it by climbing 35 feet into the tree the teen, identified in the release only as Owen, told firefighters he was trying to do a good deed and bring Aww. the cat to safety. While Owen had no trouble climbing up the tree, his positioning did not allow the same ease in getting down. Firefighting crews were called to the park and they used a rope system to lower the boy safely to the ground. About two hours later, the teen was checked by medics, found to only have a few scrapes, and was released to his parrot. parents, although the cat remained in the tree.
2: Oh, so sad.
1: The owner uh, the 21-year-old <laughs> owner of the cat did end up hiring a private company to retrieve the cat.
2: Wow. Okay, if this was a rom-com, the boy would be 21 also. She would be 21. He would climb the tree. The whole thing would still happen the way it did, but the cat owner and the guy
1: would fall in love. Yes, played yeah. by Tom Hanks and <laughs> Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, that's a good story. All right. Here's uh, one out of Arizona, a New York City man was rescued twice in two days on Arizona hikes. A New York City man who needed to be rescued twice on consecutive days while hiking in a northern Arizona mountain range is urging others to pay more attention to winter weather than he did. Warning, unless you're an experienced alpine mountaineer, do not attempt Humphrey's Peak in the winter. (laughs) There's so much snow that it's difficult to follow the trail and very easy to fall off of it. Moreover, the wind is absolutely brutal, Philip Vasto said in an online post 28 year old Brooklyn man first called 911 last Wednesday about 7 pm while he got lost hiking on the trail and then apparently uh, called again the next day when he <laughs> needed help Learn being your rescued right uh, so he injured himself the second day an Arizona Department of Public Safety Rescue helicopter was sent to pick him up and another hiker who had stopped for help. Vasto, that's the hiker's name, was provided with preventative search and rescue education about the conditions on the trail and the approaching winter storm and encouraged to not attempt the hike again. I feel like that's a really good advice for him.
1: Yeah, but the being given like that sort of training after needing called <laughs> twice in a row, it seems like the old... Uh... The, the the they closed the barn door after the horse already left. Yeah, right? gotcha, like, feels gotcha. like that Should have happened on should the front. Should have end. happened
2: before they let him go hiking or whatever. Well, all right. That's a lesson for all of us. Do not go hiking unless we're prepared. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. We'll be back again on Monday from four to six p.m. For Brian, from I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.